Hey, well, it is great to be with you, and uh, just for those in the, the, the people in the back, I don't know where I put my clicker. It might be at the bottom of the baptistry, um, so you'll have to just follow along uh, as I go, but, um, oh, wow, where'd it come from? Oh, thank you. Good. All right, never mind. Hey, a couple things going on before I jump into this. Um, this afternoon at 1 o'clock, we have a His Hope a sign language show, and so I want to invite you back for that. Leslie Hole, my wife, and about a dozen other people um, are just putting that together, so you're all invited uh, to come, and it's, and it's free, so get some lunch and then, and then make your way back here. But um, um, starting point, this is an eight-week series we've been going through. This is week four, and if, if you... So, so everything has a starting point, everything has a foundation, and uh, many of us, we could express what we believe, but more fundamental to what you believe about God, about the world, about your purpose in life and meaning, more fundamental than that, and a question you really need to answer is why? Why do you believe what you believe? And when I was a kid, the reasons why I believed what I believed about Christianity is because I was raised that way, because... My mom, who's here today, signing, my mom told me, and my mom, man, she never, well, when I was six, you know, and five, I thought, my mom knows everything, right? And then you get a little bit older, and you realize not everybody is raised that way, and that your parents aren't perfect. And the foundation, why you believed what you believed as a child, often doesn't carry over into adulthood. But I, I'm here to tell you that there is an adult version of the Christianity of your childhood. And, and if you missed the first message, we're in 1 Corinthians 15 talking about what can be the real starting point, a foundation for our faith, even as grown-ups in a world of pain and suffering and big questions and uh, lots of religions. What, why do I believe what I believe? If you struggle with that and if the faith of your childhood really is something that isn't holding firm for the faith of today, I really encourage you to go to bridgewater.church and uh, look at that first message in this series. But today we're going to talk about another aspect of Christianity that is very important, and that is rules. And I want to make a confession to start. Okay, I am not a naturally bent rules person, okay? I think rules are kind of guidelines, and it's really more the spirit of the rule that's important, okay? So like speed limits. Sometimes you need to go slower than the speed limit, and sometimes, really the, the basic, the bottom line is safety, right? It's not really the actual number, okay? So so this is my perspective on rules. And my wife, Becky, she has the opposite perspective. In fact, she's so cute. She uses this word, willy-nilly. You just can't go off willy-nilly doing whatever you want to do. I mean, there are rules and there are reasons for these rules and they need to be kept. And, you know, otherwise everything's all willy-nilly, you know. And I don't know what that is, but it sounds bad um, and a little bit silly. But and, and so, and I do have to say, she's right, okay? And I, I need to, in fact, one of the sayings that really bothers me and that I don't ever want it to be true of me is this. This is, leaders are people who think the rules are for everyone else. And I thought, oh, that's true. And I, I don't want to be that. But, but all that to say, what is the role of rules in the Bible? And what, is God's, what, what, is, what are God's rules all about? And there are two models 
of rules that we have in our world today. And the first, and one of the things we need to realize in these models is that rules always assume a relationship. Okay, so if you are in a school, there are rules, and they assume the relationship between teacher and child and, you know, administrators and teachers and things like that. At work, there are rules, and there's, because there's, they're, they're built into the relationship between owner and, and maybe you're, you're the employee or the manager or the customers. And, and even in government, even like the speed limit, this is a rule that is based upon the relationships between the police and those in authority and citizens. I found this out when I was a kid, and uh, our bus broke down because it ran out of gas, and I went with the coach to get new, more gas, and we're walking down, and, and a police officer pulls over and says, you know, what's going on? And we explain, so we hop in the cop car. We went 90-some miles an hour to get gas. <laughs> and I realized that the rules really are for citizens, and they, there's a different relationship you have with the rules if you're a police officer. So rules assume a relationship. This is true in a family, right? All, and, and there's two types of relationships, two sets of, of ways we look at the rules. The one is the club model. The club model says you need to keep the rules or, or do something to be in the club, and then you got to keep the rules to stay in the club. Now, clubs are super cool. Like, when you're a kid, clubs are, like, cool. You, like, have a club where you have to be able to jump over that hedge, and you have to be able to hold your breath for a minute underwater, and, you know, you, you do all these things, and then you're in the club, and, you know, you feel, like, superior and all that. Um, but, you know, as an adult... Uh, here's my, my interaction with the club recently. Well, not recently. It was about 20 years ago. I went with a friend, Mark, to the Conklin Players Club. It's, it's a nice golf course. And have you played there? Okay, I don't play golf much anymore, but we showed up there, and I showed up in a T-shirt and jeans. That's not according to club rules. I did not realize there were dress codes in America still in certain places. They would not let me play golf. They would not take my money to play golf unless, until I put a collared shirt on. And they had overpriced collared shirts in their little merch area <laughs> that I was not going to buy. And so I left. You know, I went home. You know, and, but, but because you got to keep the rules or else you're out of the club, right? Well, there's another model besides the club model, and that is the family model. And the family model says, actually, you're in the family. And the rules are not something that you have to do to get in the family, and the rules don't keep you in the family. The rules are to help you and others interact in the family. Which, which do you think God's model of rules are? It's the family model. In fact, God doesn't make clubs. People make clubs. God makes families. And so looking at, I want to talk about the most famous list of rules. I brought in the five through, through ten the other day, and so I brought in one through four. It's heavy, so I just can only do one at one a, one a time, you know. But these are, these are the Ten Commandments. They are the most well-known list of rules in human history, written 3,400 plus years ago. And, and, you know, even though they're the most well-known list of rules, there's, this is a survey from about 12 years ago. One in seven Americans could list all Ten Commandments. I'm absolutely sure that is like way lower now. 
And uh, less than 50%, most Americans could not name five of the commandments. So if anybody, if you ever, ever, anybody ever says to you, yeah, the Ten Commandments, I keep those, ask them to name them. Because <laughs> probably they can't name them if they think they keep all of them. And, and so the Ten Commandments is actually in Exodus chapter 20. And uh, so we're going to turn there and read it. And this is how it starts. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. So we're going to try to see some clues here. Is, is a, are the commandments a club thing that you got to keep all the commandments first and then you get in the club and you got to keep the commandments to stay in the club? Is that, does that seem like what he's talking about here? Or are they already God's people? And they don't even have the rules yet. He's, he's going to give the rules, but he already says, I'm your God, and I rescued you from Egypt. Right? If you know the story, last week, Pastor Josh talked about Abraham, and Abraham was promised that he will become a great nation. Fast forward over 500 years later, and they are a great nation, a couple million people in Egypt, and, and they were a threat to the power in the, the Egyptians, and so they enslaved them. And, and God sent Moses, and Moses' you know, tagline to Pharaoh every time he met with him was, let who go? My people. See, God's rule is you're, you're, you're already in my family, and here's some rules to, to, to help you and to help others in the family. And um, so God's only requirement, though, was trust. In fact, even to get where they were going, they had to trust God in a couple ways. Number one, the tenth plague was the, the, the um, angel of death. And the angel of death, the only way you didn't lose the firstborn son uh, in your household, I'm a firstborn son, Ryan, my son, would be a first. The only way we all didn't die as firstborn sons is you had to kill a lamb or a goat and you had to put the blood on the doorframe of your house, on your front door. And so if you were an Israelite, and actually Egyptians, I'm sure some of them did that as well. And you were saying, okay, so how is this going to save my life? That doesn't make any sense. Blood on the door is like gross. It's going to smell. I'm going to have to scrub that thing down. And, you know, it's not sanitary. And God's response would have been, trust me. You put the blood, you'll be okay. You don't, you won't be okay. Trust me. But, you know, it's not really like, I mean, what if it's a cow? Like, I wanted to have steak tonight. Like, do I have to have lamb? Or, or what about pork or something else? Can we do that and put the blood? No, 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 no. Trust me. It's got to be a goat or a sheep. That's it. Trust me. And then when, when that did happen and Pharaoh was like, I'm done. Now you've, you've killed the firstborn. You've killed the heir to the throne. Uh, you've taken, you've destroyed my country. Get out of here. And the Israelites left, and the Bible actually says in, in the first couple books, it talks about numbers especially, how it wasn't just the Israelites that left. This was not a biological thing. God's people was never based upon DNA. It was based on trust. And those who trusted in the God of Moses and the God of the plagues, and they left Egypt, and they trusted God. To go, who knows where? The promised land. Where's that? I'm not sure. I'm north. <laughs> That's the way we're headed. And so God's relationship only requirement was trust. And so then he gets to the first command. You must not have any other God but me. 
What, what does that mean? A God is kind of like a boss on steroids. <laughs> you know, and there's a level of trust you need to work for someone. Right? If someone says they're going to hire you to do a job, you have to trust that it's going to be the job they're describing, and you've got to trust especially that they're going to pay you, you know, and things like that. But now a typical job doesn't take a lot of trust, because at worst comes to worst, you can just quit or give your two weeks notice or whatever. But if you want to sign up for the military, you can't just quit, right? That's a bigger commitment. There needs to be more trust, you know, and... and it, when, when you decide, who am I going to follow? Who is going to be my God? That takes even more trust. And, and God is asking you, trust me, trust the God of the Bible, not the God of your imagination that you made up yesterday and that changes with you and always agrees with you, not the God of our culture, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, you must not have any other God before me. But again, these rules were never a condition of the relationship. It's an invitation. And, and in fact, so many of these commandments, like, thou shalt not lie. If you lied, is God like, oh, you tricked me. And, you know, I'm so hurt that you would lie to your husband or wife or lie to your kids or lie to whoever. No, it, when you break the commandments... We, we have commandments not for God's benefit, but for our benefit, right? And that's different than a lot of the rules we have in life. Like a lot of the rules we have in life, you know, they're designed to protect the people who make the rules, not the people in the relationship. So my mom, I forgot she was going to be here. But my mom had a rule for all of us growing up, and honestly, it was a very good rule, and it was good for us too, but the rule was whoever cooks does not do the dishes. Amen. Yeah. We have one amen. We have lots of heads nodding. I think we can get a revival going about this. You know, and so, so that, that was a rule. Who was that rule for? Well, it was for our kids, you know, to do chores. But it was for her too. If you're in a store, a lot of stores have this rule. You break it, you buy it. Who's that rule for? It's for that. Now, it's a good rule. It's a fair rule. It's appropriate, right? But it's for the store manager. And, and the government, most of the government's rules, who are they for? They're for the government, right? All those tax rules, that's not for you. It's not to help you. It's not to make your life easier. That's for the government, right? And so we have this relationship with rules in our human relationships that the people who set the rules set them in their favor, set them to benefit them. And many times we think that's the way it is with God, but it's the exact opposite with God. God doesn't make the rules so that he feels his job's easier, so things are better for him. They're designed to protect you and to help you and the other people that are around you. And so the Ten Commandments, they were a confirmation, not a condition for the relationship with God of, of the Israelites. Right? And, and it's just like in a family, the family rules model. Okay, so I have rules for my kids. I do not have rules for your kids. I might want rules for your kids on occasion, but that's just not my thing. And I coach 33 kids in soccer, and I don't call them up and say, hey, is Connor in bed? It's 9 o'clock. Get the kid in bed, right? No, no, because I, I don't have rules for other children. I don't check up on them and say, did you eat your broccoli 
like all of it? Or did you put it in your napkin and then ask to be dispute? You know, like, and, and we think, so, so if I were to have like maybe one of Daniel's friends over, I wouldn't have the rules that I have for Daniel for him. But if I were to adopt a kid, all of a sudden the adopted child has more rules than the friend. And it is a confirmation of the new relationship that has come about. Now I'm not just your coach or your, your, your friend's dad. Or, no, now I'm your father. And because I'm your father, I love you. And because of that love, there's going to be rules that go along with it. And they're for your benefit. They're not for my benefit. You know, does it, does it matter if, you know, if my son Daniel wants to stay up in his room reading until midnight or doing whatever, does that make my life harder? No. Will that make his life harder? Oh, yeah. And his grades worse. And all sorts of, right? the, so many of the rules we make, even as parents, most of the rules are actually for our children's benefit. And this is how, how God's view, and this is, I just want you to understand this. God's view of the rules is, is out of love, right? And it's out of relationship that, that he wants us to have the rules. And he invites us, he invited them uh, to trust him with the rules, um, is this true for us today? So going back to what Josh's message last week, Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of earth will be blessed through him. So God, from the very beginning, his plan wasn't just for, for the rules, wasn't just for Israel to be part of his family and for Israel to have beneficial rules, but his, his, from the beginning, it was for, for all the nations. And that's us even who are not Jews. And then we fast forward um, after Abraham. This is like 800 B.C., so about 1,200 years later. Um, Isaiah is super discouraged. He's like, nobody listens, God. I, I tell people things, and nobody cares. They don't listen. It's doing no good. And God's response is, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. He's saying, Isaiah, it is my words that I'm giving you to say will not return empty. They will accomplish what I sent them to do. And you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles. And you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Do you know who wrote about the prophecy that a virgin shall be with child and give birth to a son? That was Isaiah. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the, his kingdom will be known. That was Isaiah. And so from the very beginning and then all through the Old Testament, God's plan was not just that the Jews would trust him and not just that, that, that they would follow him, but that all to the ends of the earth people would follow him. And then this is in the New Testament. John writes this, but the, to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to be called children of God. Everybody, right? Anybody who, and, and you see this word believe and and so many times in the New Testament, we need to understand when it says belief, it doesn't just mean, oh, I believe Jesus is God. It, it means trust. I'm going to trust him with my life. I'm going to trust him with my sin and ask him to forgive me for my sins and, and take my punishment. I'm going to trust God. And he became the right, gave them the right 
to become children of God. So another way of talking about this whole thing of how God uh, uses rules is really, I've talked about this with our church. Behave, believe, belong. This is the normal model for churches. By normal, I mean the wrong model, but the one that most churches have. And uh, maybe you grew up in a church like this that said, first thing you need to do, and, and this is the club model, right? To get into the club, you got to behave. And to get in the club, you have to have all the right beliefs. And then if you behave and you have the right beliefs, then, then maybe you can belong. And um, so I, I remember when I was in third grade, my mom was told, you've been coming here long enough to know that those boys of yours should have suit coats when they come to church. Suit coat and tie. Third grade. That was a person who believed in this model, the club model. And actually, there are some small groups. So if you want to go to a small group, any small group that you hear about is not like this. But there are some secret small groups that are closed to outsiders, okay? And that's okay because sometimes actually, you know, your living room can only be so big and, and literally sometimes you have no room. But there was a particular small group closed to outsiders. They said, we just don't fit in any way. And then I heard they invited a, another couple to their group. I'm like, wait a minute. I thought they were full. And then I saw who they invited. And I said, oh, they're in the club. They... they they already behave. They already believe. They're, they're in the club. They can go to that small group because it's a club small group. Clubs are great. In fact, I think everybody should have one. That's not what people in clubs think. And that's not the model that Jesus personified with his life. With Jesus, everybody belonged. He'd go out to eat with religious, like, leaders who were so hypocritical and so self-righteous, and he'd go to their house for dinner because he's like, everybody belongs. And then prostitutes, he'd go to the, you know, to the house of a tax collector who was like a traitor to their country, you know, and he'd, he'd, ha he'd sit down with them too. Why? Because everybody belongs. And you know what? Sometimes some, some people here, have come to me and they're like, I just don't, you know, I don't get this. Well, what do you mean? Do you know so-and-so comes to church every week? They don't behave. <laughs> and they don't believe either. What, what, what are they doing here? Why, why are they, you know, what kind of a church is this? What kind of club is this? You let anybody in? Yeah, and it's because they're, they're, they don't realize this is a family model. That's what Jesus, God makes families, people make clubs. And in God's model, he says, you know what? Everyone belongs. And then, though you feel like you belong, I'm going to teach you about what you should believe. And I'm going to share with you about what's true. And I'm going to invite you to accept that into your life and to follow me and to change. And then, you know what? If, if you believe the right thing, then your behavior will automatically follow, right? If I believe there's a bomb in this room, I will tell you there's a bomb in this room, and I won't be the first one out, but I will be on my way out, right? I'm not going to be like, you know, it could go off. Like, no, if I really believe something, it will change my behavior.
And so this is the model all throughout God's Word, starting with the Ten Commandments and God's people in the Old Testament, going into the New Testament. It's not like the Old Testament, it was works. They had to keep the commandments. In the New Testament, it's grace. No, it's, it's grace all the way through. It's God's love all the way through. And I guess the question is, have you trusted? Have you trusted God with your life? And then if you have, are you being this way or are you being that way? Because this is a constant struggle. I did a, a funeral over at, at Halstead. Pastor David was out of town, so I filled in for him and, you know, met Roy, you know, and a bunch of the family of, of, of Deb who passed away. And there's some family from Gloversville, New York. No idea where Gloversville is. It's like three hours north of here, kind of northwest uh, of Albany. And this man said, could you start a Bridgewater in Gloversville? We need a church like this. I'm like, it's three hours away. Like, we don't have people. He's like, I could bring you people. I could get 50 people. And I said, well, we don't, we don't have enough pastors to send one up to Gloversville. He says, well, if you get one, let me know. Here's my number. Here's the thing. He was Catholic. Honestly, I don't think he believed what I believe in, in a lot of ways. But you know what? You know what made him say, we want, we want a Bridgewater? Do you know what it was? Love. Yeah. He walked into that church and those people, some people from Halstead met, met them, Bridgewater Halstead, and he's like, I feel like I belong here. I don't, I don't feel like I'm some outsider. He says, you know, the last time I went to church, it says we had four Catholic churches and they kept closing down and now there's like only two and they're going to combine pretty soon. But he said, I walked into one, my church had closed down. So I go to this new church and I go, and this doesn't just happen in Catholic churches, man. This happens in Baptist churches. This happens in every church. And this older lady comes walking down and stands right next to him and looks at him. And he's like, hello. And she looks at him. He's like, can I help you? You're in my seat. And he's like, I'm sorry, I didn't see your name carved into the pew. He had a, you know. And she's like, I've been coming to this church for I don't know how many years, and that's my seat. And he's like, okay. And he says, so I let her sit in her seat, and I never went back. Because she, and this is where all of us need to do this. I could be as welcoming as I could possibly be. And if you guys aren't welcoming, people will come into this church, and they'll say, yeah, I don't belong. Yeah, that's a club, and I don't fit in that club. All it takes is one person to say, that's my seat, or to say, what are you doing here? Or to say, I, in fact, I was talking to, um, I don't know if I should mention this, but I was talking to Nick before, and he's got some, before he was baptized, he's got tattoos on his arm. And he says, you know, there are some churches that would say, could you put a long sleeve shirt on? You know, co cover those up. That, that's not why Jesus came and died on the cross. So we could cover up our tattoos. I don't know if you know this, but our senior, our, our lead pastor, our senior pastor, Josh, who preached here last week, he's got tattoos. I don't. <laughs> it's not my thing, all right? 
It's not my thing. But he's got, he's got like, it's like a Greek Bible verse. You know, like, you're going to have to be able to read Greek to know what it says. It's actually pretty cool, you know, and, and just reminders about God and things like that. And it's just, you know what? Jesus didn't die so we could cover up our tattoos. He died so that we could love other people into his kingdom. And, and the rules aren't to make our lives miserable. They're to make our lives better. And he invites us to trust him with everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that uh, you didn't have Jesus stay up in heaven in the heavenly club with the angels, but you sent him down to earth to die for us and to invite us to trust you so that we could be a part of your family. God, I just ask that we would be family Christians, not club Christians, and that we would reach out to others, Lord, that we would, God, everyone in a small group, God, that, that we would just, just be inviting, even to those that aren't like us and maybe even don't like us. God, just help us to be the family that you died and that you rose from the dead to bring to earth, the spiritual family that you design. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.